Kia ora, welcome to Power Up Podcast, powered by Venture Taranaki and produced by Raw Collective. We're celebrating the success of remarkable Taranaki entrepreneurs, highlighting their stories and showcasing the best of work and play in this exceptional region. This season, we're talking to trailblazing enterprise owners and founders, young and the not-so-young, in energy, skincare, coffee, engineering, manufacturing, and food. And it's no exaggeration to say that some are genuine world leaders in their fields, pioneering positive global change while living the famous Taranaki like no other lifestyle. I'm your host, David Downs. Now let's discover why Taranaki is a region where unique natural and business environments collide, enabling people to flourish, both at work and home. No my, hide my, we welcome you to hear our enterprising future like no other. Today's guests are Yope and Carmen from Incafe. Incafe is New Zealand's first carbon zero certified coffee roastery based in central New Plymouth. It sources gourmet organic coffee beans from as far afield as Peru and Western Sumatra, roasts them and packages them in compostable bags. Founders Carmen and Yope started the journey in Peru in 1998, and the steps they've taken to be sustainable and ethical are remarkable. Sourcing beans from small-scale farms, paying above fair trade market rates, and running an end-to-end operation that doesn't impact the planet. This is the ultimate blend of quality and sustainability, and to be doing it all in a highly competitive global industry from a small corner of the world is all the more incredible. Carmen and Yoke talk about their passion and dedication for doing things the right way, the obstacles they've overcome, and the rewards of doing it. If nothing else, they showcase just how far that dedication can take you. Well, hola and good morning. Welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I was trying my Spanish. I thought I was doing pretty well there. <laughs> no, you did good. Uh, Sorry. But, so, Carmen, you're from Peru originally. I'm from Peru. I'm from Lima. Lima. That's the only, the only city in Peru I know. Yeah, it's the capital. It's the um, 10 million people in Lima. Oh, my gosh. And it's a coastal city just like New Plymouth. Oh, really? Yeah. What was it like growing up in Peru? Lovely. Until, the, I'm going to reveal my age here, but yeah, 70s was fantastic. And then uh, mid 80s, then there was a big influx of people from the mountains into the city. So it grew right quite a bit very sort quickly. Sort of urban drift that happened it's, in a lot of the world. Yeah. 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 But um, very lovely city. In fact, New Plymouth reminds me of Lima in the good really old days. Is. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. A lot. Without all the llamas running around and. <laughs> People playing the, those flute things. Uh, no, it's much bigger city than New Plymouth, so there's no llamas, no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and you're, you're from Amsterdam originally? Originally, yeah. But I moved uh, to a rural area when I was eight. Oh, really? I, I grew up there. And uh, when I was 18, I left home and to study. At eight? At, uh, 18. Oh, 18, then, I was going to say, then, my gosh. Uh, uh, yeah, I moved overseas when I was 23, and I've been in Holland only back once with Carmen for a, a year. and. I've left Holland, really, right. a long so time ago. A Kiwi? <laughs> yeah, we're a Kiwi. We've been a Kiwi for a long time. So, And the two of you met in Peru in 1998, yeah. is mm-hmm. it right? 98. Job was uh, working for Shell at the time. He's a petroleum engineer by trade. And I'm an architect. So we met at the Shell offices in, in Lima. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And that's interesting because, you know, as we'll hear, you're not doing architecture or working in the oil and gas industry anymore, but we'll get to that. Clearly, you're both into ethical production, though. Yeah. Seems a big theme. Yeah. We're going to talk about. How did that come about? Has that been something you've always been passionate about? In the background, yes. We've always had it. It took us a little bit of um, time to actually find our feet and to realize that this is exactly what we wanted to do. But we had been doing it from the beginning and it 
at the beginning it was a bit um, muddled, yeah. but then it became very clear that this is exactly what we want to do and continue that path. That's wonderful. I grew up in uh, in Holland and, and uh, worked a lot in agriculture just at the time. And we used a lot of chemicals and yeah. I always felt that was just wrong. Did a lot of damage and it was quite feasible because there's a lot of water around in, in Holland. Um, so I've always been very passionate about organic agriculture yeah. and, and that's the way to do it. That was one of the reasons why we came here as well. Like I wanted to actually uh, own some land and do some organic uh, growing of things. Yeah. Well, this is the place to do it. Yeah. There's probably not a lot of land for sale left in uh, in uh, the Netherlands. But the Netherlands is a, is a global leader in sort of agricultural production now, and as is New Zealand. So I think you've hit on something that people are interested in, and consumers yeah. are very interested in the idea of ethical sourcing and production now. Mm. Yeah. So how did you end up coming to New Zealand, though? So I was working for Shell at the time, and after we got married in Peru, the project that I was working on was uh, was cancelled, and uh, we uh, went to the head office in uh, in the Netherlands. And uh, because I always had this dream of uh, doing some farming or growing of something, yeah. uh, we said to each other, "Well, we're going to go for a posting in either uh, Canada, Australia, or New Zealand, somewhere where we can stay and live and, and get out of the expat system." Right. And, and a week later, they called me for a job here. And we're sort of without assessing the job. We thought, well, this must be fate after that discussion. And, and we, yes, we said mm. yes, and we ended up here. What year was that? In the 2000. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And you've gone on to have some children here, some Kiwi kids? Yes. Yes, yeah, we've got three kids. What accent do they have? Oh, Kiwis. Do they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah. were just talking earlier about whether they speak Spanish or English or Dutch at home and uh, little mm. bits of everything, but no, mainly no, no, English. No, no, they're Kiwi. They're Definitely, wow. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. When you came here, you set up this company, Incafe, Incafe, yeah. yeah. Which is Inca for those of you uh, struggling. Inca, like because you're from Peru, the Incas yeah. and Incafe. Yeah, it's a play on words. It's yeah. Inca and Cafe put together. Wonderful. Incafe. Yeah. So how did the how did you come up with that idea? Ah, uh, that was Job. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. Okay, so as I said, I was always interested in doing something with agriculture and and. Uh, being in Peru, you now in the jungle and, and seeing where coffee grows. Now, coffee is an ideal product to do organically uh, because it usually grows in uh, on vulnerable hillsides right. in tropical areas. So you can grow it with, very well with trees and you know, that loves shade. Compared so it was a great, great product to uh, promote as an organic uh, uh, right. product. And on top of that, I've been drinking coffee since I was three years old. So I do like uh, I do right. like this stuff. So was, <laughs> you've been drinking was, coffee since you were three. Yeah. How European! That's uh, very European. Uh, pretty wired. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How many have you had this morning? Uh, only two. Oh, good. <laughs> For the record, it's quarter past six in the morning. Um, why New Zealand? Is, was this a good place to set up a new business like this? Well, just because, of course, we ended up here and uh, we were looking uh, for what, what to do. Initially, we wanted to do our land thing and we have been playing with the idea of coffee since 98 and we had some uh, roasted in, in the Netherlands, but it's a big thing to leave your job and start a business like that. But yeah. So back in the early 2000s, we started to look down what can we beyond, do beyond our life with, with Shell and uh, Coffee seemed to be the most sort of nicest thing to do for us. And, and as I said, we, I am passionate about organics and, yeah. and uh, now promoting fair trade and so on. So it's, it's a nice product to put all those Fantastic. values in. Yeah. And do you find the Kiwi consumers like the coffee? I mean, coffee's culture in New Zealand seems very active now. They do like coffee. It's still not that big in terms of you know, the consumption per capita. It feels maybe bigger than that it is. And I think uh, in New Zealand, they missed the whole step. Now they went from instant to sort of barista-made coffee. 
but not sort of the tradition of just black filter coffee at home, which, yeah. which I think is actually, uh, yeah, it's a miss because... Uh, oh, you still get the uh, <laughs> the instant coffee. Uh, yeah. I, I love it. I love yeah. it, yeah. My parents always have a tin of it in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so you get the two extremes. And, yeah, uh, artisan and, and kind of com- yeah. common as muck. Yeah, so the uh, that's a shame because uh, filter coffee, I think, is very nice and um, it suits our, our uh, a lot of our coffees are very good for filter coffee as well. Fantastic. Uh, so do you, do you roast particularly for different types of production, like for filter or for espresso? Or? Mostly, of course, for espresso, uh, for cafes. And from that, um, you also package for supermarkets. But we do have some uh, really specialized coffees that are, are really for just mm-hmm. what I call a soft brew, a filter or a plunger. Because of our presence in Peru, we've got access to some really special coffees. Yeah, uh, they don't sell very well in, in New Zealand, to be honest. Uh, there's a very small market yeah, for sort them. of art, for yeah. very specialist very needs. Specialty. Mm. And Carmen, I was going to ask that. So you, your connections into Peru and, and South America generally is that where you get the sourcing from from your network? Not really. No, I am a city girl and um, <laughs> grew up in the city. But over the years, Job has been visiting the plantations for years now. We've built a relationship with the coffee growers. We started as strangers and, you know, just with a common passion that of for organics. These people are very much involved in organics and in community and working together as a community. So um, it's been years of building a relationship and now, you know, we, we know the growers by name and we go and see them. We've been every year, yeah. not since the pandemic, unfortunately, but we've been every year to see them and to cup the coffee on site and yeah it's and fantastic. they come to trust yeah. you that yeah. you're representing their product and you yeah, saying that though because of our, our sort of roots in in peru it was easy to find out where we can get the right coffee and, and find yeah. the right supplier so that this that makes a big difference but you also get some from indonesia i understand yeah we get some yeah but 95 percent of our volume is is from peru okay. and then we get some from india some from uh, indonesia we get some from Ethiopia, although that's the only coffee we don't. Uh, we no longer import directly. Everything else we import directly, but the coffee from uh, Ethiopia, Ethiopia is is goes through a trader because it's just too, uh, too yeah. small, basically. But I'd imagine direct sourcing is quite a tricky thing to do. I mean, it sounds like hard work. Why wouldn't you get everything just Well, bulk? you need to have the efficiency to have the volume, and that's with any business. Now you need to have a certain volume to make it happen. But once you, you import directly, you have a better choice of products that you want to Quality. use. Yeah. And, Is it more expensive comp- though? Overall, it, it would work cheaper once yeah. you do it that way. We work with long-term relationships and that trust gives us quality. Now, over the long run, we, we know yeah. we get the best uh, pick of the crop. Yeah. Does the organic approach or the, the ethical growing approach, does that provide a better product, do you think? Uh, absolutely. I think anything which grows on, on good soil always will taste better yeah. if you've got the right farmer doing it. Of course, that, that sometimes might not necessarily be the case, but yeah. in general, uh, no, people that, that grow stuff organically. How do you assess the farmer? I mean, when you go over there and you meet these people, are you looking for what are their practices? How do they look after their staff? What's their environmental impact? Yeah. So they are certified uh, by Fair Trade, which is a, a costly exercise for them, and they're certified uh, organically, which is also quite costly. And in general, now they're relatively uh, poor people that once you offer them a better price, they want to look after you. Uh, so they're quite strict in applying the certification and the standards. So right. we, we do go there for that reason as well, to make sure indeed everything is, is uh, above board now. Audits are only a momentary uh, shot yeah. in time. And now when we go there, we, we see enough that, that, that we feel confident. We, yeah. That's wonderful. And then the consumers here, your customers in New Zealand, 
would seek it out because, it's, as I said earlier, it's, consumers are much more aware now of these sorts of trade practices. But it means that you're paying higher than market rate, as I understand. Yeah, we, we do. But in the long run, of course, we set up this business to be in, uh, in it for the long run. Those farmers will still be around in 20 years. Now, the soils stay good. The quality is very consistent, which is very important with organic uh, now the plants are stronger, have deeper roots, and, and are less affected by either dry seasons or very hot seasons. So the, the coffee is in general very consistent between seasons, yeah. uh, which can be a problem in, with other coffees. Oh, I love so, it. And Carmen, packaging is also you know, a big part of when you think about the environmental impact of your average coffee. A lot of people, it's the lids and the cups and, and the trays and that sort of thing, but you've done some work in that area as well. Yeah, we have a packaging machine, so we packet all the coffee in our factory. And over the years, we started looking at biodegradable and everything that was available. But we were looking for compostable packaging. And it took about six years for us to be able to develop this. And it's not up to us, really, it's what's available in the industry. And we were looking for compostable packaging that would fit our packaging machine. It took six years, this project, to finally produce our coffee in compostable packaging with a compostable valve. Wow. We didn't want to have a packaging that would you would have to cut out the valve because this is not compostable. So, yeah. So every bit a, of it is compostable. Every bit of it is. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Wow. yeah. Now, I understand that you set up a cafe in Queenstown, so as oh, well as a roastery. Yeah, that's, that's really how it started. Um, we wanted to do a cafe with a roaster on its side. And... Um, it was a bit of a mistake, to be honest. Um, we are not hospitality people, yeah. and we found it really, really hard. We had a, my sister and my brother-in-law operating that, and we were still working as an architect and as um, an engineer in Shell, and my sister and my brother-in-law managed that. And um, it was in a remote area without family, without knowing anybody, without knowing much about the industry there. And In Queenstown. Also. In Queenstown, yeah. yeah. So it was, um, we thought it would be... Not easy. <laughs> yeah, lifestyle business. Yeah, yeah hospitality is not we a lifestyle thought, business. We thought, no, we can. We're capable people. We can do it. But no, it definitely, you definitely need to prepare yourselves a lot more. So we called it quits and moved over here to, and set up the factory here. So you moved. Were you living in Queenstown no, at the time? No, we moved the business. The business, over here. Yeah. but the roastery bit of it is obviously the bit that you've kept, you've kept and grown yes, and grown and grown. Yes. And so. then we decided no more hospitality for us. We're only going to focus on. You're going to be and from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And why, and why Taranaki? Why did you move here? Oh, uh, because we were here already with Shell. Yeah. We came here in 2000 with the Ops work. We loved Taranaki from day one. We did not want to move. There was a chance of moving to Auckland at one point, um, but we made the conscious decision of staying in Taranaki. So it's been since 2006, yeah. We did consider it quite carefully. And of course, we wanted to live here uh, for ourselves, but for the business, we thought, well, now, most of, of our market won't be here, uh, yeah. but we had a container port still, and that was a big factor. Uh, unfortunately, the container port, of course, left in uh, yeah. in 2012, and that, that did do some damage for us. But, yeah, the reasoning is still the same. Like, uh, more than half of our coffee is exported out of New Zealand. Oh, really? All our coffee comes in via Taranga and, or uh, Auckland. So, so you bring we, here road freighted across... Yeah, or resting. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, most of our coffee goes. The domestic supply goes also into uh, Auckland or, or that area. 
and that will be for any um, manufacturing business in in New Plymouth. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. But off- even with all of that potentially extra transport costs, etc., you think you know you're offering a high quality sought after product by the sound of it. You take a cut in your own uh, sort of uh, income for that and for the privilege of living here. But now we 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 go through this every year and and we don't want to move. And and now the kids are growing up. Now we're very happy with them here. So, so, no. so what were the challenges you had to overcome? You know, when you first moved the equipment, was it finding space, finding staff? Um, we found like, a space that was awesome, fantastic. It was huge. We are like, we can roller skate here, we can play volleyball, <laughs> we can do whatever we want here. But, of course, that was 15 years ago and we've grown so much and we're running out of space. We need double the space now. Well, it's a great news story. It's, it, your business is uh, outgrowing the space. I guess it's a good problem to have. It's one of those things that it is a problem. But Wow. How many is it? Well, how do you measure it? Tons a day or, you know, tons a week or bags? You know, what sort of volume are you putting through at the moment? At the moment, we actually, uh, because of COVID, our volumes have gone down a bit over the last two years for sure. But uh, sort of in the peak year, we've done about 20, sort of 400 tonne of coffee, green coffee that yeah. we roast through a year. So it comes in green. When you roast it, it dries out, presumably. Yeah. And that 400, 400 tons, that's a Yeah, lot. you lose about 18% to 20% right. on, in packaging losses and, and mostly in roasting losses. So yeah. you, you lose about 12% of uh, water, of moisture. Okay, yeah. wow. And then that goes out in, in one kilo bags or 500 gram bags, that sort of thing? Yeah, we, we package uh, predominantly in uh, one kilo bags or 200 gram bags. Yeah. And we also do bulk boxes for larger uh, clients. That, yeah. So we do a lot of private label uh, production. Yeah. Have you seen the coffee scene change a lot in the years that you've been doing it? Yes. Now, when, when we came here, a long black was still uh, one shot. Yeah. And, and now it's always double shots. So it's <laughs> it's <laughs> People Good want, for you. People, people are using want, more. Yeah, people want more milk. So the whole thing is is the sizing. It's upsized. The quality of the baristas have, have improved a lot. So overall, it's actually become uh, better. Yeah, um, but there's still this gap where sort of the sort of black coffee has that's not. Right, as you say, the filter coffee. Uh, yeah, the that's coffee. not really uh, taken on, and that's that's a shame. It's still a very milky uh, milky business. Now, 92% of the coffee is, is drunk with a lot of milk, and well, it's, it's like a dairy country <laughs> fundamentally. About yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you, it's like pouring uh, milk in your wine, and you're not going to judge your wine by uh, that way. So it's a bit like coffee. Coffee has a lot of flavor, and and uh, by adding milk to it you, are, you sort of dilute and change dilute. yeah, yeah. Oh, I completely agree <laughs> this, this is a disagreement because he drinks long blacks and I drink flat whites oh really <laughs> I don't want state comes yeah. with a domestic no argument here uh, <laughs> no judgment no uh, after the 18 years in the business I still can't froth milk uh, I, I refuse it <laughs> So you, you, if you're buying a coffee, you're getting a coffee. You're not getting a milk drink. That's fair enough. No wonder we didn't survive in Queenstown. <laughs> That's right. They like it down there. When you go to Europe and you order an you know, espresso, I've seen New Zealanders do that before, or go to a, like a really nice restaurant and get an espresso and then get very surprised that it comes out in this tiny little cup and it's little 10 milligrams of it. Mm. So Kiwis want volume. Yeah, yeah. Double shots all the way. Yeah. No, I like the European uh, culture. Early in the morning, all, it's very simple, uh, a little espresso with a croissant or something like that, and, yeah. uh, and that's breakfast. That and, gets you started uh, for yeah. the day. And uh, that little cup knocks you over almost. So New Zealand, we want milk in our coffee, we want milk on our wheat packs. <laughs> we want everything. What are the benefits for you of being based here? You talked about the family, the lifestyle. You've got three children here now. Tell me about that. Living in Taranaki is definitely uh, very uh, relaxed and uh, it's, it's, it's quite safe, of course, uh, in general. And, um, businesses are quite safe, so... 
everything is uh, when you uh, need to go home quickly, you're back home in five minutes. And, yeah. uh, so there's a lot of convenience uh, being here for sure. And uh, it's very family driven. Yeah, we love that. Yeah, kids got sports and you can go to that and you can exactly. take time to you go can, to school. You can just nip out of from work, just yeah. go see the you know cross country at school and then go back to work and. Yeah. It's lovely. Carmen, are you exotic here because you're from South America? Do people go, where's your accent from? Are you French? Or? They always ask me where. Oh, um, when did you arrive in New Zealand? When I said I've been here for 20 years, they say, oh, your accent is very strong. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm never going to lose it. And do you speak Spanish around, you know, just to kind of make yourself even more kind of exotic and alluring? <laughs> Hola. <laughs> On the side of the soccer ground. Oh. No, no, I like to blend in. Oh, very good. <laughs> Just talking back to the coffee business again, over the last few months there's been this discussion about the sustainability of coffee in New Zealand and the fact that, you know, the price of a cup of coffee should go up to $7 to allow hospitality businesses to make money, et cetera, et cetera. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I saw that. And, and uh, look, there was a study a couple of years ago or a year ago in, in uh, hospitality in Wellington, and I found that Wellington has two times more hospitality businesses than any other major city in Europe, for example. Really? It's all uh, the public 40, servants trying to get their coffees in the morning. Yeah, but that's, I think, the problem. There are potentially too many hospitality uh, businesses in New Zealand. And now with COVID, you see that a lot of uh, students are not here to help them and, or uh, immigration stopped, so they find it hard to recruit cheaper labour. So I think the problem is more that potentially there are too many hospitality businesses, which is not... Now, I shouldn't say that. Because, I know, well... <laughs> but, yeah. but, but I think that might be part of the issue. So everybody's sort of struggling to make it work. Yeah. And, uh, and then the other thing, of course, is the the cost of labour is going up, both probably yeah. in the picking and packing as well as yeah. in hospital. Uh, at the moment, the inflation is, is horrendous. Uh, coffee prices have gone up uh, 100% in the last 16 months. Mm-hmm. And then uh, because we That's already huge. pay above uh, market prices, our coffee costs haven't gone up that much, but still a good 25%. And shipping. And, and then everything. shipping is 100% to 400%. Now we've got containers that are actually quadrupled in, in price. So there's, there's a massive year. wave of inflation uh, yet to come come and we try not to pass it on as much as we can because yeah. now we know hospitality has been uh, stretched uh, so we have been holding off uh, increasing our prices but we see now our, our so margins no dis- disappearing yeah. so quickly yeah. so you've got to run a business i mean what well, you've given yeah. us all the answer is just mm. to get rid of the milk and just drink the coffee <laughs> bit of it and just the bottom half of the drink <laughs> yeah yeah and of course the uh, lack of tourists in uh, in new zealand uh, that doesn't help hospitality either so they have uh, probably uh, they have to make the same money with le- less clients yeah, yeah so. but in, in your favor i suppose also and just sort of finishing up on this is going back to this idea of ethical sourcing and fair trade and and you're right there in an area where consumers are not much more aware and presumably seeing a, a demand for your product carmen what do you think yeah it's been a long way for us to get here where we are and um I don't think we want to stop any anytime soon. We want to continue growing all our sustainable practices. We want to, we've cemented everything we wanted from the beginning into organics, fair trade, carbon zero. All our emissions are offset. In fact, we are credit positive because with some of our customers, we double up in our carbon zero offset emissions. The compostable packaging, the reusable coffee cups, I think it's something that we have a responsibility to promote that to our clients as well. We like to encourage our clients to not use single-use 
paper cups that will end up in a bin. It's our responsibility to be there. Just like, for example, when we were trying to do the compostable packaging and the industry was not there for that. We want to be there for our customers. We want to tell them, yes, you can do organic coffee. Yes, you can do fair trade coffee. Yes, you can do sustainable and be there to promote it, to give it to them. I love that. I think you're showing the way to consumers of coffee, but also other businesses as well about how you can really think holistically about your impact. So, mm. With coffee, we also developed um, hot chocolate. So we're also promoting our own organic hot chocolate. How do you make hot chocolate without milk? Yep. <laughs> oh, you possible. can use water. <laughs> There's lots it's of really anti-milk, isn't it? <laughs> no, 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 not anti-milk. But uh, uh, I just don't. Uh, I don't drink it myself, really. So oh, wonderful. Well, yeah. uh, what a wonderful conversation, and as I say, inspiring for others to hear how you've turned your business or created this ethical business. We've got some final fast questions for you. Right? Are you ready? Yes. You're going to argue about the answer. We might. Let's see how it happens. <laughs> what excites you about the future of Taranaki? Okay. Um. I think for Taranaki, its most valuable asset is the community, the people. And it's just promising the future here. Fantastic. And people who, who are here is because they want to be here. Yeah. Um, well, you've chosen, like you two, chosen to be here. <laughs> it's right. a very uh, resourceful uh, group of people here, I think. In, That's in, good. Uh, and it's very self-sufficient and uh, not feel safe. So they'll keep on attracting people for Fantastic. sure. And What's your perfect day in Taranaki? Uh, we were talking about that. Um, we've had a few of those lately. Just finishing the day, a busy day with having people around, barbecue, sitting on the, you know, in the backyard, having a barbecue, lounging, people, the kids playing in the in the garden, just relaxing. That's fantastic. Yeah. South American barbecue in Taranaki <laughs> sounds like a great combination. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, what would you say to someone who's considering the move to Taranaki as you've done? Oh, definitely uh, do so, but uh, remember you are far away. But that is also the beauty of it. And, uh, and if you can handle that, then it's it's a great place. Go to, go for it. You'll yeah. have a you'll have yeah. a blast. Yeah. Especially with kids, it's an amazing place. Nice place to live. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, both of you. I've no, thank really you. enjoyed our talk. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you for having us. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thanks to Venture Taranaki for making the Power Up podcast possible. If you're an entrepreneur at any stage of your life looking to get a new venture off the ground in Taranaki, talk to Venture Taranaki. With a network of experts, Venture Taranaki can help with one-on-one startup clinics, mentoring, workshops, connections, business and investment advisor support, all that you need to bring your idea to life. If you're not familiar with Taranaki, come and take a look. There's something here for everyone. With a supportive business community, vibrant towns, unrivaled experiences and abundant nature, Taranaki is humming. Your entrepreneurial flair, enterprise and career will flourish here and you and your family can make Taranaki your home. And lastly, please rate, review and subscribe. It helps others find us. 